Part three of Part first of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trilby by Georges du Maurier. Part first, Part three. Durien came in and looked over his shoulder and exclaimed, Tiens, le pied de Trilby, vous avez fait ça d'après nature Non. De mémoire alors Oui. Je vous en fais mon compliment. Vous avez eu la main heureuse. Je voudrais bien avoir fait ça, moi. C'est un petit chef-d'œuvre que vous avez fait là. Tout bonnement, mon cher. Mais vous élaborez trop. De grâce, n'y touchez plus. And little Billy was pleased, and touched it no more, for Durien was a great sculptor and sincerity itself. And then, well, I happened to forget what sort of day this particular day turned into at about six of the clock. If it was decently fine, the most of them went off to dine at the Restaurant de la Couronne, kept by Père Train in the rue de monsieur who gave you of his best to eat and drink for twenty sols parisis or one franc in the coin of the empire good distending soups omelettes that were only too savoury lentils red and white beans meat so dressed and sauced and seasoned that you didn't know whether it was beef or mutton flesh fowl or good red herring or even bad for that matter nor very greatly cared and just the same lettuce radishes and cheese of gruyere or brie as you got at the trois frères provençaux but not the same butter and to wash it all down generous wine in wooden brosse that stained a lovely aesthetic blue everything it was spilled over and you hobnobbed with models male and female students of law and medicine painters and sculptors workmen and lanchisseuses and grisettes and found them very good company and most improving to your french if your french was of the usual british kind and even to some of your manners if these were very british indeed and the evening was innocently wound up with billiards cards or dominoes at the cafe du luxembourg opposite or at the theatre du luxembourg in the rue de madame to see funny faces with screamingly droll englishmen in them or still better at the jardin bullier la closerie des lilas to see the students dance the cancan or try and dance it yourself which is not so easy as it seems or best of all at the theatre de l'odéon to see some piece of the classical repertoire or if it were not only fine but a saturday afternoon into the bargain the lad would put on a necktie and a few other necessary things and the three friends would walk arm in arm to taffy's hotel in the rue de seine and wait outside till he had made himself as presentable as the lad which did not take very long and then uh, little billy was always presentable 
they would arm in arm the huge taffy in the middle descend the rue de seine and cross a bridge to the cité and have a look in at the morgue then back again to the quays on the rive gauche by the pont neuf to wend their way westward now on one side to look at the print and picture shops and the magasins of bric-a-brac and haply sometimes buy thereof now on the other to finger and cheapen the second-hand books for sale on the parapet and even pick up one or two utterly unwanted bargains never to be read or opened again when they reached the pont des arts they would cross it stopping in the middle to look up the river towards the old city and notre dame eastward and dream unutterable things and try to utter them then turning westward they would gaze at the glowing sky and all it glowed upon the corner of the tuileries and the louvre the many bridges the chamber of deputies the golden river narrowing its perspective and broadening its bed as it went flowing and winding on its way between passy and crenelle to saint cloud to rouen to the havre to england perhaps where they didn't want to be just then and they would try and express themselves to the effect that life was uncommonly well worth living in that particular city at that particular time of the day and year and century at that particular epoch of their own mortal and uncertain lives then still arm in arm and chatting gaily across the courtyard of the louvre through gilded gates well guarded by reckless imperial zouaves up the arcade at rue de rivoli as far as the rue castiglione where they would stare with greedy eyes at the window of the great corner pastry-cook and marvel at the beautiful assortment of bonbons pralines dragées marron glace saccharine crystalline substances of all kinds and colours as charming to look at as an illumination precious stones delicately frosted sweets pearls and diamonds so arranged as to melt in the mouth especially at this particular time of the year the monstrous easter egg of enchanting hue enshrined like costly jewels in caskets of satin and gold and the laird who was well read in his english classics and liked to show it would opine that they managed these things better in france then across the street by a great gate into the alice des feuillants and up to the place de la concorde to gaze but quite without base envy at the smart people coming back from the bois de boulogne for even in paris carriage people have a way of looking bored of taking their pleasure sadly of having nothing to say to each other as though the vibration of so many wheels all rolling home the same way every afternoon had hypnotized them into silence idiocy and melancholia and our three musketeers of the brush would speculate on the vanity of wealth and rank and fashion on the satiety that follows in the wake of self-indulgence and overtakes it on the weariness of the pleasures that become a toil as if they knew all about it 
had found it all out for themselves and nobody else had ever found it out before then they found out something else namely that the sting of healthy appetite was becoming intolerable so they would betake themselves to an english eating-house in the rue de la madeleine on the left-hand side near the top where they would renovate their strength and their patriotism on british beef and beer and household bread and bracing biting stinging yellow mustard and heroic horseradish and noble apple pie and cheshire cheese and get through as much of these in an hour or so as they could for talking 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 such happy talk as full of sanguine hope and enthusiasm of cocksure commendation or condemnation of all painters dead or alive of modest but firm belief in themselves and each other as a paris easter egg is full of sweets and pleasantness for the young and then a stroll on the crowded well-lighted boulevards and a bock at the cafe there at a little three-legged marble table right out on the genial asphalt side pavement still talking nineteen to the dozen then home by dark old silent streets and some deserted bridge to their beloved latin quarter the morgue gleaming cold and still and fatal in the pale lamplight and notre dame pricking up its watchful twin towers which have looked down for so many centuries on so many happy sanguine expansive youths walking arm in arm by twos and threes and forever talking 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 the lad and little billy would see taffy safe to the door of his hotel garni in the rue de seine where they would find much to say to each other before they said good-night so much that taffy and little billy would see the lad safe to his door in the place saint anatole des arts and then a discussion would arise between taffy and the lad on the immortality of the soul let us say or the exact meaning of the word gentleman or the relative merits of dickens and thackeray or some such recondite and quite unhackneyed theme and taffy and the lad would escort little billy to his door in the place de l'audion and he would re-escort them both back again and so on till any hour you please or again if it rained and paris through the studio window loomed lead-coloured with its shiny slate roofs under skies that were ashen and sober and the wild west wind made woeful music among the chimney-pots and little grey waves ran up the river the wrong way and the morgue looked chill and dark and wet and almost uninviting even to three healthy-minded young britons they would resolve to dine and spend a happy evening at home little billy taking with him three francs or even four would dive into back streets and buy a yard or so of crusty new bread well burned on the flat side a fillet of beef a litter of wine potatoes and onions butter a little cylindrical cheese called bondon de neufchatel tender curly lettuce with chervil 
parsley, spring onions, and other fine herbs, and a pod of garlic, which would be rubbed on a crust of bread to flavor things with. Taffy would lay the cloth English-wise, and also make the salad, for which, like everybody else I ever met, he had a special recipe of his own, putting in the oil first and the vinegar after, and indeed his salads were quite as good as everybody else's. The lad, bending over the stove, would cook the onions and beef into a savoury scotch mess, so cunningly that you could not taste the beef for the onions, nor always the onions for the garlic. And they would dine far better than at Le Père Trince, far better than at the English restaurant in the Rue de la Madeleine, better than anywhere else on earth. And after dinner, what coffee, roasted and ground on the spot, what pipes and cigarettes of caporal, by the light of the three shaded lamps, while the rain beat against the big north window, and the wind went howling round the quaint old medieval tower at the corner of the Rue Vieille des Trois Mauvais Ladres, the old street of the three bad lepers, and the damp logs hissed and crackled in the stove. What jolly talk into the small hours! Thackeray and Dickens again, and Tennyson and Byron, who was not deed yet in those days, and Titian and Velasquez and young Millet, and Holman Hunt just out, and Monsieur Ingres, and Monsieur de la Croix, and Balzac and Stendhal and Georges Sand, and the good Dumas, and Edgar Allan Poe's, and the glory that was Greece, and the grandeur that was Rome. Good, honest, innocent, artless prattle, not of the wisest, perhaps, nor redolent of the very highest culture, which, by the way, can mar as well as make, nor leading to any very practical result, but quite pathetically sweet from the sincerity and fervor of its convictions, a profound belief in their importance and a proud trust in their lifelong immutability. O oh, happy days and happy nights, sacred to art and friendship! O oh, happy times of careless impecuniosity! And youth and hope and health and strength and freedom, with all Paris for a playground, and its dear old unregenerate Latin quarter for a workshop and a home. And, up to then, no killjoy complications of love. No, decidedly no. Little Billy had never known such happiness as this, never even dreamed of its possibility. A day or two after this our opening day, but in the afternoon, when the fencing and boxing had begun and the trapeze was in full swing, Trilby's milk below was sounded at the door, and she appeared, clothed this time and in her right mind, as it seemed, a tall, straight, flat-backed, square-shouldered, deep-chested, full-bosomed young grisette, in a snowy frilled cap, a neat black gown, and white apron, pretty faded, well-darned brown stockings, 
and well-worn, soft, grey, square-toed slippers of list, without heels and originally shapeless, but which her feet, uncompromising and inexorable as boot-trees, had ennobled into everlasting classic shapeliness, and stamped with an unforgettable individuality, as does a beautiful hand its well-worn glove. A fact little Billy was not slow to perceive, with a curious conscious thrill that was only half aesthetic. Then he looked into her freckled face, and met the kind and tender mirthfulness of her gaze, and the plucky frankness of her fine wide smile, with a thrill that was not aesthetic at all, nor the reverse, but all of the heart. And in one of his quick flashes of intuitive insight, he divined far down beneath the shining surface of those eyes, which seemed for a moment to reflect only a little image of himself against the sky beyond the big north window, a well of sweetness, and floating somewhere in the midst of it the very heart of compassion, generosity, and warm sisterly love. And under that, alas, at the bottom of all, a thin, slimy layer of sorrow and shame. And just as long as it takes for a tear to rise and gather and choke itself back again, this sudden revelation shook his nervous little frame with a pang of pity and the nightly wish to help. But he had no time to indulge in such soft emotions. Trilby was met on her entrance by friendly greetings on all sides. Tiens, c'est la grande Trilby! exclaimed Jules Guinot through his fencing mask. Comment? T'es déjà debout après hier soir? Avons-nous assez rigolé chez Mathieu, hein? Crénon d'un nom, quelle noce! V'là une cremaillère qui peut se vanter d'être diantrement bien pendue, j'espère. Et la petite santé, ce matin Hé, hey, hé, hey, mon vieux, answered Trilby. Sa boulotte, apparemment. Et toi Et Victorine Comment qu'asporte à cette heure Elle avait un fier coup de chasse-là. C'est-il jobard, hein De se fiche paf comme ça devant le monde. Tiens, v'là Gontran. Ça marche-t-il, Gontran Zouzou de mon cœur ?»« Comme sur des roulettes, ma biche, » said Gontran, alias le Zouzou, a corporal in the Zouave. « Mais tu t'es donc mise chiffonnière à présent T'as fait banqueroute ?» For Trilby had a chiffonnier's basket strapped on her back and carried a pick and lantern. « Mais oui, mon bon, » she said. « Dame, pas de veine hier soir, t'as bien vu ?» Dans la dèche jusqu'aux omoplates, mon pauvre caporal sous off. Nom d'un canon, faut bien vivre, est-ce pas? Little Billy's heart sluices had closed during this interchange of courtesies. He felt it to be of a very slangy kind, because he couldn't understand a word of it, and he hated slang. All he could make out was the free use of the tu and the toi and he knew enough French to know that this implied a great familiarity which he misunderstood. 
so that Jules Ginot's polite inquiries whether Trilby were none the worse after Mathieu's housewarming, which was so jolly, Trilby's kind solicitude about the health of Victorine, who had very foolishly taken a drop too much on that occasion, Trilby's mock regrets that her own bad luck at cards had made it necessary that she should retrieve her fallen fortunes by rag-picking, all these innocent, playful little amenities, which I have tried to write down just as they were spoken, were couched in a language that was as Greek to him, and he felt out of it, jealous and indignant. "'Good afternoon to you, Mr. Taffy,' said Trilby in English. "'I've brought you these objects of art and virtue to make the peace with you. "'They are the real thing, you know.' I borrowed them from le Père Martin, chiffonnier en gros et en détail, grand officier de la Légion d'honneur, membre de l'Institut, etc., treize rue du Puy d'Amour, rez-de-chaussée au fond de la cour à gauche, vis-à-vis -vis le Mont de Piété. He is one of my intimate friends, and... You don't mean to say you're the intimate friend of a rag-picker, exclaimed the good Taffy. Oh, yes, pourquoi pas? I never brag. Besides, there ain't any beastly pride about Le Père Martin, said Trilby with a wink. You'd soon find that out if you were an intimate friend of his. This is how it's put on. Do you see? If you'll put it on, I'll fasten it for you, and show you how to hold the lantern and handle the pick. You may come to it yourself some day, you know. Il ne faut jurer de rien. Père Martin will pose for you in person, if you like. He's generally disengaged in the afternoon. He's poor, but honest, you know, and very nice and clean, quite the gentleman. He likes artists, especially English. They pay. His wife sells bric-a-brac and old masters, Rembrandts from two francs fifty upwards. They've got a little grandson, a love of a child. I'm his godmother. You know French, I suppose? Oh, yes, said Taffy, much abashed. I'm very much obliged to you, very much indeed. Uh, I, uh... Y'a pas de quoi, said Trilby, divesting herself of her basket and putting it, with the pick and the lantern, in a corner. Et maintenant le temps d'absorber une fine de fin sec, et je me la brise. En m'attend à l'ambassade d'Autriche, Et puis, zut, allez toujours, mes enfants, en avant la boxe. End of part three. Part first.